Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is TL, and you are now on the front line. Yes, it's still a stereo podcast, people. I got something good for y'all today. And I'm going to need y'all to stick with me. I might go left, but I need you to stick with me as I go left. We got some guests, guest hosts. We got some, some, some special people coming in to speak with us. But before I do that, you know I got to talk. I got to talk a little bit, y'all. In my neighborhood, or hoods as we call them, it's this term that we've used before. That term that I grew up using was what's understood don't need to be explained. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. We all watch Power, and we, we remember when Tommy was in on the big drug deal. He, he, was, the, he was what we call the distro, the distribution. He, he, he distributed drugs for all of New York or for his part of New York. And there was a scene where Tommy was talking to lower level drug dealer that he was bringing up into the regular part of the operation. As he was becoming a part of this bigger part of the operation, he would brag and say how much he was going to sell and how much drugs the warehouse had in it. And Tommy used to give him this look on his face like, dude, shut up. But where I come from, we would hit him with, dude, what's understood don't need to be explained. And that's usually a term that we use in a calming matter because that comes before the storm. Because what's understood don't need to be explained. Now back to power, Tommy, his thought was like, look, the feds could be watching. The feds could be listening. And I don't need you going in and allowing them to listen to our whole operation. So be quiet. What's understood doesn't need to be explained, right? Right now, white people across America they're currently finding themselves speaking from a place of privilege and they don't hear the words that are coming out of their mouths. They say, help me understand. They say, I'll be glad when things get back to normal. The statements that seem also oh innocuous, but really they're saying statements that come from privilege. Well, for those white people who want to understand and those white friends that you have that need to understand, don't hesitate to send them over to the Frontline Stereo Podcast with TL. Hey, look, all you got to do is say, hey, Google, and it'll, it'll come right up. You can play the, the Frontline Stereo podcast and allow them to listen. But to that white person that speaks from privilege and wants things to get back to normal, first understand for the black community, your normal made us feel subhuman. Your normal was not normal for black men and women. But what's understood don't need to be explained, right? What do I need to explain to you about hearing an unarmed man in his own yard being shot by police officers. What do I need to explain to you? I just want to leave. God protect me. What do I need to explain to you about a man being face down, taking his last breath? Stephen Clark. Eric Garner. George Floyd. What do I need to explain about the history of lynching, dog attacks, and the use of water hoses, and the dehumanization of people of color? Drew Brees, do we still need to explain why 
kneeling down at the football games is a peaceful protest? What do I need to explain about a president whose answer to the death of George Floyd, who was killed by excessive use of force from terrible officers, his answer, in turn, was to use excessive force and call it in the military. What I need to explain, people, as that old term in my hood say, what's understood don't need to be explained. So right now, I'm going to take my time today and I'm going to unpack some things that I can control because I'm not going to explain to you guys something that's already understood. I'm doing my best not to get emotional right now. Um, and as I do my best not to get emotional, I, I find myself relying on some of my true North stars. Um, I have sitting in with me today. Um, one of the brothers who you've heard on the frontline stereo podcast, uh, Mr. Torian Richardson will be sitting in with me today. Hey, 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 hey. He going he gonna to help me stay calm and not get overly emotional today as I start <laughs> to unpack what our lineup is going to be. And um, you know what, T-Man, look, I'm, I'm going to play some music. I need some music to kind of calm myself down. Hey, you, yeah. this, this stuff can weigh on you really heavy. Especially when you start to, I got I mean, like I literally have a newfound respect for the news reporters and newscasters because as they start to report on items or the narrative that's presented to them, when they have stuff like this, you actually feel it and it, it weighs mm. on you heavy. And I'm used to having a lighthearted conversation. Uh, oh, what I like to always say on the, on the Frontline Stereo podcast, we like to have couch conversation. It's where I take take professionals and pull them down to the couch and say, hey, look, talk to me like you would talk to your wife at home or talk to me like you would talk to your boys at home. I try to get that narrative going because that's where the truth comes out. And, and right now, America's continuously being PC, politically correct. I don't need you to be politically correct. I need you to make some people uncomfortable right now. I want to make some people uncomfortable right now. But in order to get this move back into the right place, I want to play a little, <laughs> a little something, a little simple. More, uh, just, just, just get my, my, my nerves back intact. Yeah, man. As I break down this lineup. So, people, today on the Frontline Stereo Podcast with my boy Torian Richardson. Hey, hey. We got a special guest, Miss Dr. Leslie Neelan Brown will join us fairly shortly. And we're going to unpack what's our solution. We've done the protests. We always do that. We've had our demands. We haven't made any demands. So, what does justice look like? I'm also wanting to speak directly to the looting and destructive nature of what's going on because we looting and destruct, being destructive in our own communities. History tells us that doesn't work out for us, guys. Last thing I want to kind of unpack, I can't leave out my rant against the government, specifically the black government, the mayors, the congressmen and women, as I like to call them, the old guard who not taking care hmm. of us. We got to start talking about the old guard because if you think this problem is just about Trump, you're probably a part of the problem. So everybody stick with us as we ride tonight. 
on the Frontline Stereo Podcast. I like that, man. That's that slow ride music, too. <laughs> we gonna get there. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to have this conversation, bro. I think you'll find, sir, that there will come a time when black people wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves as other humans are intellectually independent enough to think for themselves then the black man will think like a black man and he will feel for other black people and this new thinking and feeling will cause black people to stick together and then at that point you'll have a situation where when you attack one black man you are attacking all black men and this type of black thinking will cause all black people to stick together and this type of thinking also will bring an end to the brutality inflicted upon black people by white people and it is the only thing that will bring an end to it no federal court state court or city court frontline listeners that was just our brother Malcolm X talking. As I said, I'd be back with a special guest. I told you I had a, a wonderful lineup for us today. And that special guest that I have with me is Miss Dr. Leslie Neelan Brown. She comes from Wright State University as the counselor of education, director of school, director of school counseling, licensed in both school and clinical mental health counseling. Dr. Leslie Neelan Brown. Welcome to the Frontline Stereo Podcast. Finally. You said finally? I said thanks for having me. Oh, uh, thank you for, for, for joining us. I know we just heard a, a, a clip from, from Malcolm X, and right now we're in a, we're in, we're in a crazy time, and, and you're one of the people who I identified, and I just say, hey, look, this is a person who needs to amplify their voice. This is a person who's professionally, she's an educator. And I need, I, what I like to do is have couch conversation on the Frontline Stereo podcast. What I like to do is take some of those professionals and I want to have good old couch conversation. Those type of conversations you'd have on the, on the couch with your spouse. Because I want people to understand that us as professionals have a truth that we speak or that a, a, a truth that needs to come out on a more regular of occasion. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what we just heard in, in context of where we are today. I, I think he, he told us what we needed and it seems like we're rising to the occasion in that. And so really everyone coming together and speaking up about what's happening, being on one accord and saying that we see it and, trying to bring justice. So I think exactly what he was saying then, sadly that we're still in the same place that we were then, I think that we're, we're getting there. And I, I can't say that we're all the way there, but I definitely think that we are, we have been rising to the occasion. So our voices are being heard a whole lot more and just recognizing kind of what's happening. Dr. Brown, I, I know you're, you're, you're at the university and you're teaching the kids and, and or students, I should say. Have anyone asked you, are you okay? Interestingly, the first person who asked me that was my mentor in my doctorate program and also was my dissertation chair, who is a white man. 
so that was interesting that he was the per- first person to reach out to me. Um, and not only did he ask me how I was doing, but he also said, and your son is in my, is just, has just been on my mind. And so, um, so he was the first person. And then I've had, it, it's kind of like it's trickle down. So slowly but surely people have reached out to kind of know, but in a, just very slowly. The interesting thing is, is that an administrator at my university he has, has not addressed it at all, which is interesting because you expect wow. it. So of course, my university addressed what's going on because, of course, they would. They've addressed it. But just an administrator within um, the academic unit which, that I work in has not reached out in any way to address faculty in our unit. However, did reach out to ask me if I would be willing to talk to our local newspaper, though, on how to have this conversation with young people. Um, And so, and I was expecting in that exchange that there would have been some type of, hey, and how are you doing? Um, But there wasn't. And so I think that there is somewhere in there that a lot of times for Black professionals and educators, which is also why I even struggled to whether or not, I, you know, when I, when I kind of resisted a little bit about coming on. Yeah, um, like get is your that butt on here and amplify. We have this, and, and, I, and I know that, and so I think we have, a, what we have, though, is this responsibility that our voices need to be, and so we have a platform, um, and so we're supposed to be. However, sometimes it becomes difficult because you have to stand on the platform while also carrying the weight of everything that's going on. Um, and yeah. so with, with that is why, you know, it's appreciative when people do ask you, how are you doing? Um, because I recognize the platform that I have. I recognize that I do have a voice um, and I want to use that in the work that I do to be able to make an impact. Um, but in the midst of that, it's still a lot and it's heavy. So, yes, I've had people. Um, I don't think I've had enough people, um, but I appreciate the ones that have. So the frontline listeners are used to listening to professionals come on and have this this conversation with them. But from a professional opinion, how do we have this conversation? Because quite frankly, I'm upset. Uh, and just like you in my professional life, I, I carry the weight while having my peers as one of the few executives or le- um, few of the people that's in leadership with my company. I have, I have those, of course, white peers who are coming to me and saying, T, how do we do this? TL, how do we, how do we talk about this? What, what should we say? What, how should we compose this message? And right now I'm, I'm too exhausted to help you compose a message. Mm-hmm. Right. That part. Yeah. So what do we do? And not make it ours. Um, I think it's almost insensitive in that way is that there are resources that already exist that there are so many things that are so, from African-Americans, we have already written on this. They have done podcasts on this. They have done movies. They have done documentary. So to have to come to a person of color, a black person in particular at this time, to ask them to explain or to help or to be a consultant, I think is insensitive. And I think they have an obligation to go do the work. Yeah, That's been what I've been I'm at the point where I'm okay with letting them be uncomfortable right now. Right now, white America is very uncomfortable. I'm I'm not looking forward to trying to be PC politically correct. I'm not trying to be politically correct right now. I want you to be a little bit uncomfortable. I literally just had um, leadership members come to me and go, what movies should I watch? What, what books should I read? And, and my thought was, how about you watch the video of what happened to George Floyd? (laughs) How about you read countless of of these books that's out there um i mean it's so many out there that you can that you could have been gone and got and now we're at the point where drew Brees is speaking out of turn in an insensitive moment 
being insensitive mm-hmm. in the moment. We have coaches from football, Vic Fangio. He's saying, I don't see racism in the NFL. <laughs> Knowing good and well, we just had people kneeling. I mean, I even said this one thing. Like Trump, he completely doesn't get it. And I, I feel like he's the epitome of what white America is right now. I, I know it's, that's, that's going to be an unpopular opinion with, with, white, with some people in white America, but his response to the George Floyd killing, who was killed by excessive force from cops, used excessive force with his own military against his own people. Against, and when I say his own people, American people. If that's not insensitive, I don't know what insensitive is. And what do we have to say in order to get people to understand that innocuous statements like things would go back to normal? Well, hey, look, Mm -hmm. normal for me, normal for you, wasn't normal for me. Like, what what are you telling your students? What are you what are you putting? What 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 is the platform that I'm struggling? I I mean, like I I'm literally struggling for the proper words to speak to my colleagues, to speak to people who come to me and say, TL, what are you going to say on the show? I don't know. I'm just as hurt as you are. I'm just as exhausted as you are. I'm just as furious as you are. We have to get to the point where we have to start talking about a solution. Do you have any ideas on how we get to the point where we start talking about the solution? Well, I think that, I mean, and I say this with any type of of trauma or traumatic situation, if that's what this is, is a trauma and it's a a repeated trauma. And so while we're talking about George Floyd, clearly this isn't new for African-American people. Like this didn't just become a thing. So we've been experiencing and been enduring. People have finally taken notice to it, I guess, this time around. Um, But I I would say what any trauma is, is that we need to have our moment to, to, to process, we still need our moment to feel, to be in our feelings. I think that a lot of times things happen and you have that moment at that night, you know, where you can get it off and you can cry, you can be angry, you can say the things that you couldn't say at work and then you can go into work and deal with it. The right. problem is, is that we, we don't have that. We're not given that. And we still haven't been given that because we have to cease the moment. And so we don't have, we're, we're not given the time to say, hey, everybody go take three days to chill, turn off your, get off social media, turn off the TV, don't talk to anybody, don't engage so you can gather yourself completely so you can get back out there. And so we don't, we're not being given that right now. And so to that, I've been telling people is that, you, I mean, you got to grab it when you can. And so I'm not expecting anybody to take a week hiatus because we know we can't lose a week right now. So you have to keep the momentum, but definitely you can take a couple hours to give yourself that time to be angry to be upset because with this I think you have to feel it you have to feel the anger you have to you have to feel the pain you have to feel every single emotion that you need to feel um those feelings that aren't desirable I guess that don't make you look good you should be able to allow to have those moments but I also think that if we if we don't if we can't kind of manage them in this then sometimes our message gets lost and we can't really provide what we need to during this time. And I think that's natural because I don't think we should have to. But yes. the thing is, is that we all have to. So, I, so that's my first thing is self-care. It has to be in there within ourselves. It's almost like we've got to start tagging each other in and out. It's like, look, I'm about to take out. You jump in there. So as long as somebody in the game, while I'm taking this break, somebody else can take over this thing right here. And so I think we have to do a good job about that. Um, but the other part is, is that, um, I, I, I do think that we do have a responsibility to educate, but that can't be my responsibility all the time. So I get to decide when that's going to be. And so I've had, you know, so I'm an educator. To my students, I have a responsibility and I'm not missing that moment because okay. that's why I'm here to educate them on this thing, to give them those resources, to open it up, 
to my neighbor, to other people out there, I don't owe them that obligation. I think it's important for them to be educated, <laughs> but I think that they can do to find those things. And so don't give me, don't make that my responsibility. I mean, and I'm okay with saying I mean, you saying that thing, you're like, I don't owe you that responsibility, but for your students, like, look, I, I talk to you guys because I owe you that responsibility as, a, as yeah. an educator. But for the neighbors, he was like, you, you figure it out. Right. Right. And I'm not and I don't engage. And so that's why I, I have I have very I've limited myself on interacting with people and arguing people down because I've also come to the thing is that I'm not going back and forth and trying to co convince somebody of something that has no intentions of ever listening anyway. Hmm. I mean, you're entering into argument that people they're not listening they don't want to they don't we're not reaching any agreement it's just going to be a matter of me draining myself so why am i draining myself here where there's other ways that i can use my voice where it's going to be more meaningful so i am not taking on the responsibility to help them feel comfortable because sometimes that's what it becomes is that i'm giving you these resources because you feel bad now and you want to do the right thing but you want me to help you do the right thing now and i don't have it to do wow. so you have to figure out can do it and take that initiative if you really want to do it so as you say in that initiative for really wanting to do something i i have to broach a conversation with you i have to i have to come to you and just get your thoughts people think i go left when i when i have this conversation but i i've even heard i was watching cnn and i seen tamika mallory and killer mike come on stage and they they even said some of the things i had been sitting down um just speaking about with my wife I say while we're talking about riot and eluding they're literally taking the narrative back from us and, and and i know we have to we have to recover and take this narrative we have to take our movement back like you said now's the moment and we we can't we can't rest on our laurels we gotta we gotta go and act right now i have mm -hmm. something that i need to say that i've been saying in the, in in the privacy of my own home where are our leaders at right now? I have a rant right now against our our black government, the the, the people we put in, in place in black America, the Keisha Lance Bottoms and the Lori Lightfoots of the world who are mayors of of uh, of their city. Keisha Lance Bottom. We, I know Georgia's white, but everybody, when you say Atlanta, they know it's black Atlanta. Um, these mayors are in place and put in place with the hopes that they help make things better for our communities and from the communities that they come from. And as a mayor, you have the police chief, AKA the top cop reporting directly to you. Why have I not heard any one of these mayors say, these are the actions that I have been taking. The actions that I've been taking is having my top cop come to me with a report of all disciplinary actions raised against certain officers in any complaints, whether they be hate related complaints or racial related complaints. But these are the people that we need to clean house from. Why haven't we heard that yet? Why am I, am, am I the only one upset at people like this? Cause they were put in place to help us. I, I think that, I think it's really complex. And so I think that in the ideal world, it would be so simple. It's to say that right now, you know, I feel like it's still process, like due process of how things have to play out. And I think as, as politicians, we know that even, we know that there's a gameplay that has to be done. And I don't know, because I really don't right. like politics that kind of way. I, I don't, I mean, the whole idea of politicians in itself to me is, is always going to be a little murky. Um, but from that, I think that it's not just the, like when we think about like the mayor and we want her to, to say that and do that, but there's so many other people though that, 
that we don't pay attention to. And so we're not paying attention to those judges and stuff that we that we vote in because, of course, we're also not showing up to the polls always in those things and those other our representatives um, and some of those key figures that I think that in a lot of ways have a have a have a bigger impact. And so I think that we put it all into these people with the expectation that the change is going to just spew from them. And I don't think that's realistic right. that they heard that she is going to have that. So I almost think that it's the same thing that most professionals get that I say um, that I've been telling people that, you know, educators, I mean, as soon as you have an advanced degree, of course, it's all it's this obligation now that I have to just look at the grade, the big picture, but I have to still serve my people in such a way. Um, and, it, and it's almost like it's too much to even feel like how does she fulfill all of that while doing because I mean, we can't deny that they have all that most of them have done great things and that they've done great work. I think right now, it's just a really heavy thing that people want to see instant change for something that has been going on for how long. Yeah, and so I don't know that right, right now, now. Disappointed. I don't know that I'm disappointed yet. Um, just because I don't know what's happening behind those doors. I don't know the work. And that's simply because I just don't know. And so that's why I said I can't say that I'm disappointed yet just because I don't know yet where, where, what they're doing. Oh my God. And I don't want to take that from them yet, not knowing not that yet. they're not things in the making. Yes, not yet. I still think, I mean, we, I mean, this is, we're not even what, I mean, what's, what's today? How many days we're into this? But I think that's the thing is, is that when people are like, you know, what's the next move and where are we going to this and where are we see, that is what we want to see. We want to see some action. We want to see policies. We want to see people being held accountable, but not just the police force. It's not just the police force that needs to be held accountable. All, every branch of government needs to be held accountable. Every institution, every entity needs to be held accountable. That's what we need to see. And the thing is, is that that's not going to happen overnight. That's not going to happen next week. We want it to, but the reality of it is, is that all of this stuff is still going to take some time. Um, and so I think that's what we have to think about the long haul of this. And so us not tapping out too quick and us losing sight of that through all of this, that it's going to take some time still. So I'm not disappointed yet. Yeah, that's, that's Dr. Leslie Needham Brown telling y'all, don't tap out so soon. Look, I'm, I definitely want to be sensitive to your time. Um, I, we've, we've been going for a minute now, and I, me, myself, probably want to take a break. <laughs> you missed that whole emotional outtake on what was going on. But um, Dr. Needham Brown, I, I want to thank you for being on the show. I want to thank you for speaking with my frontline listeners. And definitely any time that I, I have to be able to call on you and come back. I'm hoping you'll come back for me. Oh yeah. Yes. 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 Say, yeah. I come back for you. Well, look, thank the front line. Thanks you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, and like I said, I want to be sensitive to your time and, and, and just make sure we all do. T I don't know how we, we, um, get back into <laughs> it with, after an interview like that, that was Dr. Ne Leslie Nealon Brown coming to us. And she, yes. she basically just said she didn't know, man, she didn't know what, what, what direction, how to, how to respond with the, with the, the neighbors. She didn't know how to respond with right. kids. And she said she wasn't <laughs> yet ready to just put the ACE while she wants to hold everyone accountable. She wasn't ready yet to put the ACE on, on um, our black government. Me, Matter of fact, before I even get into our black government, I'm going to give Mr. Torian Richardson his <laughs> own disclaimer. Opinions expressed by TL are those solely of TL and no one else on the Frontline Stereo Podcast. Shit, wait. 
this is a damn podcast. Man. Yes, it's a damn podcast. I know they my opinions, <laughs> but I want to make sure that I'm covering you because I don't want you. To, I don't want anybody who you deal with or work with think these are your opinions. These are my opinions. I'm just having a conversation. I'm trying to cultivate something here. And quite frankly, I'm pissed at our black leaders. It took Barack Obama, I don't know how long, but you know, I didn't count on him coming out to say anything anyway, because he didn't say anything when Laquan McDonald was shot up 1400 times in the Chicago streets. So I mean, it, it, yeah. we keep looking to our entertainers to, to say something that pulls us together, that gives us a ray of hope. And that's not what we should be doing. Instead of looking to kill a Mike, I mean, his name is Killer Mike, y'all. <laughs> instead of, look, instead of <laughs> looking to kill a Mike and Jamie Foxx and, and LeBron James to make the political statement, quite frankly, we got Keisha Lance Bottoms. We got Lori Lightfoot. We got Cory Booker. We got Auntie Maxine. We got all these, as I call them, the old guard. We got all of them in office. And yeah. we, I mean, Auntie Maxine always say something, right? Maxine Waters always say something. Well, well, yeah. And I, and I think it's interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon that we have to look up and have someone speak on our behalf anyway, right? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We have elected officials. That's what makes the United States great at least overarching in theory, right? Because I, I, I'm sure that everybody would agree, especially right now, because it's easy to agree that we have not consistently lived up to the high ideals for everyone within the United States of America. But I think speaking specifically right now as a native black American, that we need to look at why is it that we have to look up for people to do that when I truly believe, right, that the changes that need to happen within the native black American community can actually start to happen from the people that are on the ground in the neighborhood. But that goes back to what Dr. Leslie Nealon said, which was she doesn't have an answer and I'm not trying to throw her under the bus, not at all. But if you ask the majority of people, we have not, we native black Americans have not come together and put together what Charlemagne the God calls on the breakfast club, a black agenda. So yeah. it's segregated. We're going we're gonna to be split no matter what. And that's going to make this very difficult. And, that, and, and for me, that's one of the things that I'm very cautious about because you have to think about it, man. Like if I'm a CEO right now, mm -hmm. if I'm a governor right now, I had all these people. We, it's, it's not like this conversation is new. You have executives at high level working in diversity and inclusion and equity and all these titles and da 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 da, da and budgets toward it and you see all this stuff. But for some reason – now seems to be the time that even those people, those highly paid people in executive positions are speaking their personal absolute truth with real candor. I would be like, wow, I had a huge problem under my nose that wasn't even addressed anyway. And then on the flip side of that, if we are, if you are looking at it from the native black American standpoint, mm -hmm. right now it's easy to have that conversation. I am much more concerned about, 18 to 24 months from now when we have a new normal when there's something else to talk about that is this going to be front and center as something that is paramount for the united states of america but you say something interesting to me you say that wow i have this huge problem under my nose and mm. my thought is like racism didn't just pop up racism is not getting worse it's just getting yep. filmed <laughs> like yep. it's yep. just getting filmed. Yep. It's it's been this way. So how are you just now coming to the realization that hey, 
I didn't know this exists. This is one of my boys. Are like he, he said it. He said it first on his show. He said, mm. this is not the mm. first time. This is the film time. And now that it's being filmed and it's in your face, you you telling me you, you didn't know this problem existed? Well, heck, I, I went to school and, and in black history class, they show people like Martin Luther King marching across bridges. They show people like Martin Luther King leading protests to sit at, to assimilate and sit at all white counters um, in all white service places. And they filmed that too. They showed us getting water hosed, um, hosed with, um, with, with fire hoses. They showed dog attacks. They, I mean, even when I say this is not the first time, this is the film time. We've been on film for a long time. What's different. And then you bring up Nothing Charlemagne. And then you bring up Charlemagne, the God's um, his, his, his question about an agenda. I want to unpack some of that too, but I want to let you comment on, on this is not the first time. This is this is just the film time. This is not the. It's not getting worse. It's just getting no, filmed. I, I agree with you 100, percent and that's what I mean by there were initiatives centered around this before this happened. And so the question of how authentic and genuine were they is the question, which yeah, means <laughs> that now since it's popular for people to chime in, right? If you are a native Black American right now, you can basically be that skit on Dave Chappelle's show at the table. And you will keep your job, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah we at can be for, that At now. least for the next few weeks. You know, keeping it real right now is going to go right. It doesn't mean that there are not going to be consequences in the future. It doesn't mean that anything you post when things get back to a new normal won't come back to haunt you because I suspect that they will. Because what we have to understand is, is that at least from my standpoint, right, my opinion, that a lot of this is baked into the pie and into the cake already. So that being said, we have to unpack it even more because I'm going to be honest with you. There are a segment of people, and it's not just uh, Native Black Americans, but if, of other uh, backgrounds and cultures that truly believe that a lot of these issues aren't real. So, you know, for me, fundamental questions would be, is institutional racism real? Like we, I, I believe that it is, right? right? But there's a segment of people that do not. So anyone who is basing their argument on institutional racism, that person is not going to hear them anymore. So to me, the question of is institutional racism real? Who are the undesirables right. in our culture? Like, let's, let's, let's be honest. Who, are the, uh, who have been historically the undesirables in the United States of America? And then the third question, which is separate from institutional racism, is, is white privilege real? Now, I believe to some extent that it is, but there are a large segment of people that are not speaking right now, and some of them are Native Black Americans, that will say it's not real anymore. It used to be, but it's not. So to me, we have to dig down to like fundamentals. That's, that, probably... that, that's my thing, because if we don't do that, trust me, 18 or 24 months from now, the, you know, the, the icing may be a little bit thicker. There may be a few more sprinkles on top of that cake but it's still going to be shit underneath. Hello. Coming. <laughs> those are the people, man, look, those are the people that, that, that keep giving us our, um, our own black employee groups or, or black lives matter groups or whatever, um, mm. whatever groups that we have that are singular, singularly, um, ethnicized our ethnic groups. And, and then yeah. now they done moved away from these ethnic groups and now they want to push up, the the inclusive group. I don't want the inclusive group. I want the ethnic group back. You know why? Because as Black Lives Matter keeps saying, all lives don't matter until Black Lives Matter. So give me the ethnic segregation. 
I mean, it's a reason why you can go into a lunchroom in, in, in a high school and see black kids sit with black kids, white kids sit with white kids, Mexican kids sit with Mexican kids, Asian kids mm-hmm. sit with Asian kids. Mm-hmm. It's our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So you have to give us mm-hmm. a comfort zone where we feel free to speak and not push everyone's agenda on us all at once. Stop giving me Barack Obama's agenda. I got an agenda that we can come that we can come up behind together. I don't know why Barack Obama didn't agree with it. I don't know why uh, most of black America can't get behind it. But one consistent thing that I continuously hear us say we would like to have is that promise of a 40 acres and a mule. I've heard the reparation talk continuously. <laughs> and me and you sat down and we had we, we, we hinted just a little bit on this reparation talk. And you said, what did you tell me? Man, listen, you, you already know. I, I've been saying this for years. In my, from Tory and Richardson's perspective, everything comes down to economics, right? So right. if we think about how what we now call Native Black Americans, slaves at the time that came from Africa, whether they were sold and or um, taken, it was for economic reasons, right? Our purpose was to tend the land in the South. It was to work in factories and textiles and things in the North. It was to do the grunt work on the expansion of the West. So fundamentally, and this is the conversation that needs to be had and really dug into, from our very roots, what we now call Native Black Americans were not intended to be a part of the U.S. economy. Right. We were meant to build the economy, right. right? So if we're saying that that is the case, then, and we're still working with laws that are still rooted way before the end of slavery, right? And these things have been cyclically moved forward. It's very difficult for us to get ahead as a group of people, as an ethnic group of people, when we don't have the economic fortitude to actually even compete in the, I hate to say game, but in, in the way that the United States actually works. And that to me is paramount. That, the, the first thing for me is mental and emotional health and well-being that what we need to address. And the second a close second, or I would even say 1B, would be economic fortitude. Now, I would be very happy if we started on those two things. Now, I know the frontline listeners is not going to believe that's what you told me. You didn't tell me all that, T. I know we talk well, about well, stuff like now. that. <laughs> we talk about <laughs> stuff like that, but that is not what you told me. I had to reparate. I, I say black America should be able to get behind this one thing, even if it's a one-thing agenda. We can create the remainder yeah. of the agenda later. I said, reparations is due. And you told me, yes. I don't know economically that we can do reparations. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're right. No, you're absolutely right. Because, yeah, because we did talk about that. You're right. Because we have a lot of conversations, bro. So, we do. Yeah, we, I remember us talking about that. And, yeah, my argument was, at the time, was can we afford to actually do that? And you had a great counterpoint, which I actually sat on for a while, which is, uh, I don't agree with you, T, because we just had a stimulus package that was how many trillion? Right. And that's what I want. That's what I want people to hear. I want us to sit back. All those people who have sat there and said we need to move past trying to ask for reparations, that we're not going to get reparations, even though there's studies behind this. I mean, if you if you haven't looked up the H.R. 40 bill, go look up the H.R. 40 bill. It's it's literally a bill that will support the study for what it's going to take to get African-American people or native black Americans 
this the have the reparation conversation with study to go behind it. Georgetown has done a study on reparations and and being able to track down who are who 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 are truly African descendants of slaves. There's study out there that supports this. And now, even even after our own black president, who I need to hold accountable, said, I don't know that we are economically able to do something like this. Now we're in this pandemic. They get even, I think we're still in a pandemic because they didn't start talking about the pandemic and no one's wearing masks. They all protesting. <laughs> right, not at all. Not right. Anyway. But now that we, now that we have, we, we, we experienced this, this whole pandemic of coronavirus and people weren't able to work. I get it. People not able to work, you got to do something. You got to keep, you got to keep us sustained in some way. But they put out a $5 trillion package and they're still talking about putting out a bigger package. Now, I know some of the arguments that have been made when it comes to reparation is we shouldn't be held accountable. America shouldn't be held accountable for a small section of Americans that had that did this to people of color. The Jewish people got reparations. The Asian people got reparations. And now it's our turn to talk about reparation. And we getting every excuse under the under the blue moon. And after just watching this five trillion dollar package come down down the pipeline to sustain America. This is where I have to say I call BS. We have to talk about it. In a I do as well. Matter. Right. We, we I, have I to do know as well. That but it's not. But there. it's just not a priority. It's not a priority, man. It's not a priority. And that goes back to my warning of what's happening right now, which is right now this seems like a priority. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, oh, my gosh, I need to talk to all the, the black Americans at my job and what should we do and, and stuff like that. And for some organizations, it will truly uproot a culture and help plant seeds to move in a different direction. Right. But I would argue that it is, it will not be at the top of the food chain um, later on, which is why it's not in the United States and why I'm very pessimistic about even, even if there was a small part of reparations that it would actually happen. And it's not even more, it's not even the money as much as it is admitting. Hmm. Cause then you, then you essentially admit. what you're saying is, Everything that the United States has from our monetary policy, from our control of commodities that we have in the U.S. and the trade that we have, particularly with countries like China, from being um, one of two reserve currencies before the the Chinese make theirs a currency in the next 15 to 20 years for the globe, comes off of the backs of majority, majority of what are now native black Americans that were born in the United States of America. That's a hard thing to admit, and I don't think they will. It's that, that is harder than the money. Yeah, because as soon as you admit that, then the, then the money got to show. I mean, but, but this is where I always have the conversation. I go into the conversation of reparations, and I know I talk about that. But I'll, you've, all, you've also heard me say, if you think this is just about Trump, then you're probably part of the problem. And that, and that goes for black and white America. White people are still talking about Trump. I don't know why they think this protest, during our protest, they have to talk, talk about Trump. This is where I say take back our narrative. And for, for black America, we have to find a different level of accountability for the people that we place in office. Uh, we, we have to do something that, that says, hey, look, I'm not just going to keep protesting outside of the White House. 
I know he's uh, I know Donald Trump is divisive. He's an idiot who says idiotic things, and I expect him to do. I, I expect him to be emboldened and walk across the street and take pictures with Bibles. This is what I expect from him. He showed us an apprentice, but when it was in entertainment, it was entertainment. But now he's running the country, and it's not as entertaining anymore. But I expected him to do these things. But what I didn't expect is Auntie Maxine not to say nothing. I didn't expect Keisha Lance Bottoms to not have a, a real viable response of this is what I'm going to do with the police force. I didn't expect Lori Lightfoot to keep trying to keep everybody in Chicago in check. I didn't expect Cory Booker basically utterly disappear. <laughs> I did expect Barack Obama to do what he did, which is not mention us at all and, and put a for all statement out there. But these are our leaders. We can't keep looking to kill a Mike, man. His name killer Mike. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you, know, you know that 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 killer. I, I, he explains it well, so he people does. can look that up. What that actually killer means, but I know what you mean. Though. But I yeah, I mean, like, we, I hate to make the comparison for white America and black black America, but white America is not sitting there talking about um, their their entertainers pushing their political agenda. But yet, we're looking at Will Smith and and Jamie Fox and. Um, LeBron James and whatever sports figure we can latch on to that has a political agenda to push our political agenda. That's part of our problem too, because these are bills and laws that they have to pass when we have to pass bills and laws. Guess what we need guys. We need um, CEOs of companies and lawyers. We like to have, I mean, as much as people don't like Kamala Harris, whether you love her or hate her, she's a lawyer. She can actually break this stuff down and explain it to us in a way that, hopefully makes sense to us and she can actually put forth and they can't argue with her. This is the type of people they got sitting on the aisle. We got preachers and pastors and, 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 and we don't even listen to them. We, we go to killer Mike and, and LeBron James and Jamie Foxx and whoever is the entertainer so, of the week. <laughs> so, so do you, so do you, so do you really see it as an us versus them thing? Oh, they have always been the enemy, man. You gotta, you you have to understand that. That just because they're the opposing person, uh, again, when you debate, when you have debates, you there's a person that argues the negative, and there's a person that mm. argues the affirmative. Right now, who mm. they would look at it as us arguing the negative, and they're arguing the affirmative. Just because I'm arguing so the, the negative, so, so doesn't mean the, I so hate the you. So they would be the they would be whom? Who, who? When you say they, who are you referring to? The they would be white America, and that don't mean I have to hate you in order to debate you. I'm just trying to pull. I'm just trying to prove a point. I'm just trying to mm. I, e even with me proving this point and, and making the arguments for this debate. I have to at least allow you to hear something that I've said that makes a change in your life, even if you win the debate for this time. That's what I'm saying. We, we're not even winning small battles. Our small battle should be the Keisha Lance Bottoms and the Lori Lightfoots and the Kamala Harris's of the world. But what we're finding is they're getting in office and they're not taking care of us either. Well, bro, but let me tell you why, though, right? I mean, we could talk about the us versus them debate later. That's another show, right? Because okay. I, I have some feelings on that. Because I, I just, but when we, I, I don't like to be generalized, right? And so when we generalize, and I understand for the sake of this conversation, for the listeners, we want to do that. But that's a that's a great topic for us to dive into. But let, let's get into the politicians, okay? Our politicians are beholden to the people that finance them, period. Mm -hmm. The people who put them in place, they are beholden to, right? These are the people, the private equity funds, Right. These are the people that run organizations that 
you know, are making 10, 15 million, $5 million a year in compensation that can contribute to the interest of their organization. Right. All of them, maybe with the exception of the local level in your city, municipality, alderman or whatever it's called where you are. Right. So until we, when I say we in this context, I mean, native black Americans have a economic foundation reparations we will be we will be yes <laughs> reparations could be one for sure for sure for sure but 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 we don't want to put all our eggs in one basket i don't right. I, I don't even operate that way right I like, agree. like for me for me i look at this from the standpoint of to me it's like playing a lottery it's like saying i'm going to take the little change that i got and i'm going to put it all into the winning ticket on sunday in hopes that people are going to do what I feel is the right thing for me. And I no, I, I'm not doing that. Yes. Do I, do I think that, that, that African-Americans, well, you know, I don't like that term. Native black Americans <laughs> should have some level of reparations. I absolutely do. I'm pessimistic about it happening, and I am not going to waste the most precious thing that I have in my life, which is time. Right. Waiting for them to give it to me. And I think that we can't do that either. I think what we have to be able to do, is still fight and have that debate no question and we need to push it we need to drive it but it also needs to come with some economic fortitude this is what other communities within the united states understand and we don't do a very good job of that we don't yeah because and we, I don't, get, we, we don't even know, do a good job of holding start, people accountable um i i know myself and you are both a part of um, black greek letter organizations and mm -hmm. Being a part of black Greek letter organizations, I've always tended to look at us as the as the educated, um, organized, slightly organized, best of the 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 black community. I feel like if if we do something together, organized, all black Greek letter organizations, a.k.a. the the National Panhellenic Council. Um, specifically mm -hmm. the black national part of the National Panhellenic Council, if we do something together. Mm -hmm and create a pact and create, um, I don't want to call them demands, but create a list of things that we can do for change. An agenda. Yeah. An agenda. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if we, no, if it. we create that, not only will people support it because they're looking at us lead the way we got, I mean, heck I got 125 active due paying members in the chapter that I'm a part of now. If that's not a, enough men to hit the ground running along with other organizations, I don't know. I don't quite know what is. I, I, I feel like this is where I hold us accountable. Why haven't we created a, a national panhellenic pact in order to have some economic funding behind what we push? That's a great question. But first of all, I need you to clarify. You have 125 members of what organization? <laughs> the men of Phi Beta Sigma, of course. Oh, okay. Okay. I just, I just wanted to make sure, man. That, that's all. You know, Mighty Men of Sigma, we have to make sure we stand up. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, no, but, but, but to get back to, get back to the seriousness of the conversation, though, right. I think it comes back to what I was saying, right? It's, we're distracted, man. We, we, we are distracted. And if you notice, my tone is very much, and this is how I've tried to operate in my life. I'm not trying to make this about me, but I want to give listeners more or context as to how I see things and process things is, I truly believe that if we look at things from the inside out, we have a better chance of success in life, right? Mm -hmm. So things have happened to me, right? And I always ask myself, okay, 
I can't control the external part, or I may be able to influence part of it, but what I can do is kind of evaluate where I am internally, how I deal with it, and how I navigate things going forward. And collectively, collectively, Native Black American community has not done that. Even when we talk about Black Greek letter organizations, we're segmented. First, first of all, and I want to put this out there, I would argue that we think we are better than the communities that we are supposed to serve. Collectively. Mm. Now, I'm making a generalization okay. right now. Now, okay. I don't personally believe that, right? But I do think that in our actions collectively, that there is a serious, talented tense, a bit of a nose in the air, even though most of us are one generation of working class, working poor, or poverty, first uh, year or first or second generation of college, we feel that way. So if we think we're better than the people we are supposed to be helping to be better, right, because of the access that we have, how are we going to be able to come together to drive an agenda collectively? And see, that's why, to me, I look at everything from the fundamentals, man. Fundamentals are very, very important to me. And we fundamentally can't sit down and say, hey, listen, as college-educated Native Black Americans, we want these three things. Three things. That's all we got to do is agree on three. Forget it. Like you said, let's just agree on one. Right. Reparations we might be one, but something. let's do something else, right? Right. And, and we are going to drive. We have a collective way in which we are saying we are going to move and work with people who are helping us get to where we need to be. And that's why I look at it from the standpoint of allies, advocates, that may, maybe they have a vested interest. Maybe it's altruistic. It doesn't really matter. As long as it helps the cause, come rock with us, <laughs> Right. That hasn't happened. It hasn't happened with, with us. So we certainly aren't going to attract and permeate people externally. Hence, what do we do? If we are over-entertained and under-educated, of course we're going to look toward entertainers, entertainers right. to lead us. And that's what happens, man. Our leadership, our spiritual leadership comes from the church, which is a business in itself. I mean, that's, a, that's another, that's another show, mean, too, right? And, and, they, and, they, and they're the ones in, the, in government, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, taxes that they don't have to pay and stuff like that. So, but my, but my point in this, in this conversation is for me, it comes down to that, man. And I, and I think we have the ability to do it, but now that we have everybody's attention, cause I will argue that we do have everybody's attention right now, although I, I'll be at a short period of time. What are we going to do next? And that is the most important question because our window of opportunity it's probably to the 4th of July. <laughs> man, look, T. We got a month. Man, <laughs> what are we going to do next? Man, this, this, is, this is why I love having this candid conversation with you. Like I said, I love having couch conversation with you, and I, I definitely want to thank you for sitting in with me today. An hour is definitely not enough time for us to talk, but that's what I give the people right now because that's the kind of time I have on my schedule. Um, I understand. Of course, we're going to have to unpack some of those additional conversations that we were alluding to. It's, it's, I guess it's I guess it's time for me to start wrapping this thing up, man. <laughs> I, I, the, Close it out, baby. Man, look, what are we gonna do next? You heard him ask the question. I think we got to take back our damn movement and stop letting the narrative change. Some of you absolutely need to just close your mouth. Um, one of my boys told me, "Never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. Hush until you heal." But then we just heard Dr. Neelan Brown tell us we don't have time to heal. We don't have that time. We got to go grasp what we got right now. I know there was a lot of 
conversation going on in today's um, podcast. But what I want to drive home is that I want you to remember the names like Stephen Clark, Laquan McDonald, Eric Garner, George Floyd. All these men have passed away from killings. And you've heard us say, racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed, people. To my white colleagues and friends and counterparts that listen to the Frontline Stereo Podcast, know we need some time to heal. Our heart might be a little bit bitter. Know that your efforts of protesting hasn't gone unnoticed. But just like Torian said today, we probably got a month at this, y'all. Y'all got to help us not allow this to die in a month. Thank you guys for listening. You can now back up off the front line.